Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode 39 of the Film Coterie. The episode is also the age that you stay forever, right? When 39. People ask you how old you are, you just want to say 39? It was 29 several years ago. Now it's 39. It's a good number. Yeah, I like it. And we have an exciting show, but if this is your first time ever tuning in to the Film Coterie, Adam, explain to our listening audience, what is this podcast? We are a general film podcast that is just basically two guys that like to talk about movies. We used to do it by ourselves, but now we thought we'd share it with you. Absolutely. And uh, we've never been nominated for any, any awards. No, no. <laughs> we've never won any awards. We're just man, a couple guys that loves movies. We yell into the, the great abyss. There you go. Absolutely. And uh, I usually talk a lot, and then Adam brings some reality to the show, <laughs> some common sense. but. Uh, we have a good show tonight, right? We're going to yeah. talk. We're going to talk. We actually, it's kind of a very dry time in the theater right now, right? It's February, the dumping ground. And, and you know, usually every week on Thursday night, we go see a brand new release and then we talk about it on the podcast and we release it, you know, the, the next day on Friday for you guys to listen to. And uh, man, it's a bad month for movies. So we thought we would venture. It's not a bad month. There's just no movies yes, coming. Yes, exactly. Just nothing really. It jumps jumps out and grabs us. So we thought we would kind of venture into the Netflix land, you know? And so what's on tap for today, man? The surprise to end all Super Bowl surprises. The trailer for Cloverfield Paradox premiered during the Super Bowl. And then during the trailer it was revealed, it was purchased by Netflix. And not only that, it was going to stream in three hours. As soon as the game was over, you could hit play on Netflix and watch the new Cloverfield movie. It set the record for fastest time ever from trailer to release. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I, we were texting back and forth. And, and then when that came on during the Super Bowl, I was like, man, I'm going to watch that right after the Super Bowl. And so we I both, did too. Yeah, yeah. So we both ended up watching it right after the Super Bowl. And then we had a 1 a.m. phone call to discuss our reactions <laughs> to the movie. We'll save that for the review. Yeah. But Roger and I talked late into the evening after we both witnessed that movie separately. And so that got us thinking about for this week's episode, let's kind of do a space, space theme, space disaster theme, right? You know, bad things happen in space sometimes. And so uh, we thought we would dedicate this episode today to some... Movies both new and maybe movies you haven't heard of, and some very popular movies from the past that have dealt with space disasters. So uh, I think this is as good a place as any for us to take a, to jump right into our first movie. Well, let's let's share a little bit of space news that came out this week. Yes, there's more Star Wars coming. To no one's surprise, uh, they announced that the showrunners from Game of Thrones, Benioff and Weiss, are going to produce and write um i don't i think they're not going to direct but they will produce and write a their own series of star wars that's going to stand a, alongside ryan johnson series and presumably the ongoing saga they've not confirmed episodes 10 through 12 but it's rumored so we have three separate trilogies series going on at the same time different time periods these other two are confirmed not to be Skywalker Saga. So predictions. If you just had to guess, what would you, or what would you like to see in a Ryan Johnson series or uh, uh, a Benioff and Weiss, the, these these guys from Game of Thrones? What would you like to see them do? Old Republic, just something new and weird, something we have no connection to. 
you know, maybe a Sith Empire or something in there that we've we've heard about in Legend, but now can see an unfolding story with new characters. Yeah, I could see Ryan Johnson going off to a bizarre, weird, out there edge of the universe, edge of the galaxy that's still tied to Star Wars, but might be a little edgy. And then I could really see the guys from the gang from Game of Thrones doing something very epic, like something really big scale, massive old Republic or something, you know, the, the, uh, the time where the Sith and the Jedi were formed or something, something very kind of that they could put their epic scale to. So I'm kind of excited. Yeah. I think these are good choices. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. I'm, I'm excited. I want to jump into our, our first movie. Okay, that would be Cloverfield Paradox. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Film Coterie. We'll be right back. Possible earthquake near the Statue of Liberty. Looks like you should have left town a little bit earlier. Whatever you're doing... Stop. All right, and we're back. And our first movie of the night is Cloverfield Paradox. Adam, set the stage for this movie for our audience. This is the third film in the Cloverfield franchise, and it's a mystery box, the J.J. Abrams special. So if you're not familiar with Cloverfield, the first movie came out in 2008. It drew attention because it was a trailer without a name on it, if you remember this. There was a giant monster. He threw the Statue of Liberty's head all the way downtown. Lots of stuff in the trailer. No name. And that's what drew everyone's attention. Then it was revealed it was called Cloverfield. People wondered what Cloverfield meant. We still don't know. They're still wondering what Cloverfield means. Yeah, that's still a question. And then uh, it went away. It was a one-time movie. Yeah, It was okay. It didn't set the world on fire, but it wasn't bad. It was entertaining. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, years later, we get an ad two months before it comes out for a movie called 13 Cloverfield Lane. What's this? A surprise Cloverfield sequel, and it was very close to coming out. And now, the day the trailer came out for it, we, it was, I don't think America knew it was coming, but people that generally follow film blogs knew they were filming more Cloverfield. So if you, were, if you follow film blogs, you knew. If you didn't, you'd probably be surprised by this. But Cloverfield Paradox was announced during the Super Bowl. Trailer premiered. It was available to watch three hours later. Now, now give us a little bit of the history behind this. For, let's, let's take an insider's look a little bit here. Because this was supposed to release in the theater in, later, April. in April of this year. What do you know about the journey, that journey that brought them to... Did Netflix just swoop in and buy it? We don't know all the details yet, but here's the funny thing about the Cloverfield franchise. Only the first one was originally written to be a Cloverfield movie. So the John Goodman one movie you saw as Cloverfield Lane was originally, I believe, filmed and shot as The Cellar. And then at some point, J.J. and the Bad Robot crew came in, retooled it, reshot an ending with the lead actors, uh, and made it a Cloverfield movie. So it was kind of... Not saved. I mean, it was probably fine. I mean, it seemed like a good movie. It was just transitioned over into a Cloverfield movie. Right. The same thing happened again with uh, Cloverfield Paradox. It was shot as a movie called The God Particle. 
And then it was sort of being retooled into a Cloverfield movie called Cloverfield Station. And uh, instead and of... Seem, and it seems like... I'm sorry. It seems like... We talked about the God Particle movie at some point in one of our po- earlier podcasts, I think, you know. So this wasn't this wasn't like we knew about it, but we didn't know about it. But it really was a surprise to have it just drop right during the Super Bowl. That was Bowl. the big surprise. Yeah. Now, it wasn't quite tweaked probably as much as originally promised. And the, the trade articles say that J.J. was going to work on it some more. But now that he's on episode nine, he didn't have time. Paramount really didn't know what to do with it, so they, they sold it off to Netflix. We don't know how much. The movie was produced for about $40 million, so it wasn't a cheap movie. And something else, you know, the new head of Paramount has been dumping movies. He's been making the decision whether or not, and I'm using quotes, things are theatrical. Right. So he dumped this, and then around the world he dumped the new Natalie Portman movie, Annihilation. It's coming out here in the U.S. in theaters. Everywhere else it's Netflix only. No, I did not know that. That's interesting. Wow. Okay. So he must not think it's really... He thinks Natalie Portman will draw an American audience, but not a global audience. Or the movie may interest Americans, and he didn't think it would interest a global audience. Either way, he he sold those off to Netflix. Okay. He's just looking at their slate, and he's been brought in to kind of right the ship. Right. Okay. Well, interesting moves he's making. Well, let's jump right into um, Cloverfield Paradox. Um, sit the stage, Adam, for us. What is this movie about? And, um, you know, give us a little bit of background. I guess we probably won't get into spoilers. I don't know. Yeah, we won't get into spoilers. So, movie set aboard a space station. The crew is about to fire off a particle accelerator looking to solve the energy crisis. This is the first time it's fired off. They do it. And it wouldn't be a movie if weird stuff didn't happen. Right. So stuff goes sideways as soon as they fire it off. They end up in a different spot. The Earth is missing. And then we also see back on Earth, things are going chaotic. There's monsters. There's the Cloverfield monsters that you've seen in the other movies. You don't see them up close. You see one in the distance. You see like a wreckage of a building. Right. And a monster moving away through the mist. So the monsters have arrived on Earth simultaneously with the station firing off the particle accelerator. (laughs) So that ties us into our Cloverfield universe. That's what the- and dimensional rifts. Right. If you've played Half Life, yeah, or even the movie The Mist. I mean, this is some common ground between yeah. these properties. And so, basically, all three of these movies then are taking place in 2008. I mean, are they, they never say year, but but it kind of feels like they're parallel stories. Like they're yeah, they're all, at the same time. They're all going on. That's what I'm trying to say. They're all kind of going on at the same time. You know, kind kind of a deal. But so. I don't know if Energy Crisis was ever mentioned in the other movies. You know, this one very much focuses on the energy crisis. <laughs> Which will get us probably to our critique of this film. <laughs> there are some critiques of this film. Um, I immediately, as soon as I was done watching it, I had my own reaction to the film. But I hopped on social media and I was just searching the uh, hashtag. And crowds are immediately mixed at first. But then I, I did see quite a negative flow of comments, you know, at midnight, roughly as people were wrapping up. It, right. it turned sharply negative. I, you know, I have to say that uh, um, I'm glad I watched it, you know, just just because it is a Cloverfield movie. Th- this is one of those movies that like the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was like, I'm really into this. I'm really liking this movie. And then there's this, it was a slow decline at that point to a crash at the end where it was just, 
it just got so many loose ends that were not tied up and, or, and that were not brought together and so many stretches and so many, I could get into spoilers, but it just became a big mess of a movie at the end. The biggest problem with it is the script. The acting's all good. I enjoyed the cast. They, I thought they had a very interesting cast. They've cast all actors you're going to recognize their face. You may not know their names, but this is a recognizable crew of, of good character actors from other And pieces. they seem to have some decent chemistry. Yeah. I like the cast. I like the yeah. acting. The acting was fine. Uh, absolutely. There. So it's just really a problem with the script. Yep. Um, what else about Cloverfield Paradox? All right, so here's the thing that really bugged me about this movie. Okay, let's let's get into it. I've heard people compare it. There was a critic that I, I think was not too far off when he said this felt like a prequel comic that you got from a cereal box, where it's just kind of fluff that you read through, and it, in the end it doesn't really add to your experience of seeing a movie. Right. For me, this kind of felt like a badly run uh, tabletop RPG, where the DM was just mashing together scenarios. Because there, there are scenes, they're all connected. Bad things keep happening to the crew, but they're just so random. If you know what I mean. They're, I mean, this, this movie felt like it had to bring the crew count down. Right. Like every other movie, there's only going to be one or two people left at the end. And it just came up with weird ways to get rid of the crew. And whether someone's a traitor, not a traitor, all these stereotypes and tropes just came right back into this movie. And it really didn't fit together. A bunch of stere- a bunch of tropes for this for the space disaster genre. A mysterious, maybe a mysterious creature on board, maybe not. You know, um, the woman. We can talk about this. So the crew, after they go through the dimensional rift or whatever it is that happens when the particle accelerator goes off, they're suddenly plus one. There's right. a woman on board suddenly that was a member of the crew in an alternate universe. This feels like the show Fringe, where there's two parallel universes, and she was a part of the other crew on board the space station. So In another dimension, right? Right. Is she and, good? And, is she bad? And I, and I like that. I, kinda, I was like, that's kind of cool, you know? I like that if that really would have happened, you know, the way she's discovered and where she's discovered is very apropos for a dimensional time shift rift. You know, that was really good, but... It leads it, it, it that even muddied things up even more because and not in a good way and not in a good way because now we've got even more tropes have been entered into this picture and I mean there there's one scene that just that has to do with some um, magnetized liquid that they put like in a sealant sealant that they use and. <laughs> And this is not giving anything anything really special away, but because it's magnetized, for some reason we have no reason, no understanding why gravity is greatly magnetism is greatly pulling all these tools against this wall, and this guy struggling to get off his tool tool belt, and then it flies against the wall, and this metal stuff is like almost like arms reaching out to, it's spiraling out like spires. And yeah, spikes. like it's going to get him, you know. And then it just up and defies all magnetism laws of gravity and laws of physics and everything. and Or just common sense. And common sense. And I'm like, huh. And what it, Roger's saying about that, it doesn't impale him or anything. It just pulls him back it pulls towards him the backwards. wall and acts like it's a living thing. And it's never addressed later on. Nothing like this ever never. happens again. Yes. And that's one of the problems with the movie. They introduce weird elements. There's an arm that crawls around and can write messages and seems to know everything. But it's just in one scene. They never go back to this thing. 
and it knows things. You'd think they'd ask it more questions, but they just move on. I mean, it's just these pieces that fit together don't fit very well together in this movie. It's like they had a bunch of ideas of stuff they thought would be cool, and if we just throw them all together, it'll make a good movie. Which is why I compared it to a bad tabletop RPG experience. But just a DM that came up with some scenario that he kind of copied and pasted together. And it, it, it falls apart. And I actually think it damages the brand. Yeah. I was really disappointed in the end. And mainly because, I mean, Cloverfield, the first movie, was okay. I think Cloverfield Lane was better than it had any right to be. It was pretty damn good, I thought. I, I agree. No. And, you know, that's like, oh, you know, if this is what we're going to get for Cloverfield movies, this is kind of cool where we can get a genre film set in this overarching universe. And they're all going to be different. This is cool. And then this launches, and you're like, oh, well, I see the other side of this. Maybe we're just going to get slapdash movies that are thrown together. And we have another Cloverfield coming, right? Supposedly, yeah. One set in World War II about a secret Allied mission to a Nazi base. So we'll see about the. So I, I can't really recommend it as far as a, you know, TFC recommend, you know. But um, I mean, it's on Netflix if you pay for it. There are elements of the movie that are that are pretty good, and it act, looks good. I mean, look, yeah, visually very beautiful, and the acting, like you said, is really solid in this movie. It's just the script, and the, it's just just bad. The script and the editing, probably. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing too: if you like Cloverfield and you're looking for answers, there really aren't any in these other movies, and that's fine. I don't want everything answered, but. They're just kind of toying with us at this point, I think, because this one really just feels like feels like they painted on a little layer of Cloverfield paint. So here you go. It's a little bit Cloverfield. Just enough to qualify. Well, and it makes me think that they introduced this, for lack of a better word, I forget what they even called it, this thing like a tesseract, you know, this object. The gyroscope. The gyroscope thing that that helps them to be able to do this collision and and orient them in space. And I mean, it's just so many, so many bad things here. Yeah. You're going to have a million questions watching this movie. None of them are good. It's like, wait, why would they do that? But, I, but would, I have this, why would this work? I have this sneaky suspicion that somehow our world war two movie will be the finding of that mysterious object or something. You I know. know it felt like a bigger uh, MacGuffin that we're going to see again. Cause yeah. it, it didn't serve any purpose in this movie except to maybe look, Hey, glowing object that's going to be important. Well, what what was so bad is when things go bad and they disappear. They don't know where they're at. And they go a whole long period of the movie not knowing anywhere in the world they are. And then when they discover where they're actually at, it's like you didn't look out a window and couldn't <laughs> figure that out. <laughs> or have a computer that could figure it or, out. There's not one computer that can't figure where you're at. Yeah, so there's just some really, some bad, like I said, I got really hopeful, started out pretty good, good chemistry, all stuff's going to go wrong. And uh, as far as character motivations too, you're supposed to believe that these are, you know, astronauts that are, you know, doing whatever they can to save the earth from the energy crisis and put the earth above all. And yet they all seem to turn into self-serving, we got to save our skins people. Right. And... It's frustrating because they all make a point of, of kind of laughing at the people that are saying bad things can happen when a particle accelerator turns on. They're saying nothing bad can happen. They do it. Something terrible happens again. Happens. And then they want to do it again. They're, you know, they're going to fire it off again. I and mean, just imagine what worse could go wrong here. 
and they don't care. I promise you nobody from NASA would have ever fired that sucker the second not a, time. Right, not after what it did the first <laughs> time. And they, they just said, oh, it must reverse itself. That's just movie logic. Yeah, yeah. So kind of a miss for me, and, and it really puts me at dis-ease for the whole uh, Cloverfield, because I was really getting on board with Cloverfield after 13 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, it damages the brand, but I want to say this. I, I appreciate what Netflix did here. I think it was cool. It was exciting. It was a cultural moment. The fastest release we've ever seen. Um, none of us had to pay for it. Um, I don't think this is going to get Netflix any new subscribers, but the people that have it all watched it, all talked about it, and that, that might just be enough for a win for Netflix. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the perpetuation of the Netflix product. That's what they're ultimately about. They don't care if it costs $40 million to purchase this if you're like, wow, when's the next movie they're going to do that about, you know? And there's no guarantee that Netflix is doing any more Cloverfield movies. I mean, I looked. This may have been a one-time deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the next one may be in theaters, and it may be a better sign of quality or whatever. Um, I just think they got to earn some trust back. Well, it would have been this one. It would have been interesting, Adam, to see if J.J. Abrams would have had time to really, really polish this and, and fix it. I don't know how he could have fixed it without major reshoots. Yeah. Yeah, probably so. You're probably right. Oh, man. But we do have a good space disaster movie to talk about. Yes, we do. So, And one that you've probably not heard about. And so stick around. You're going to want to hear about this. You're listening to The Film Coterie. Now that we've discussed Cloverfield Paradox, I wanted to share with you a space disaster movie that you may not have heard of that I really like, and it's available right now on Amazon Prime. All right. And that is Salyut 7. And let me spell that for you. It is a Russian name. It's S-A-L-Y-U-T 7. And if you've not heard the name Salyut before, that was the series of space stations the Russians put up before Mir. After that was Mir, and then the International Space Station. Right. These were little tin cans. You see it in the movie. The space station was not much besides a room with a bunch of wires in it. But what makes this movie really interesting is that the Salyut 7 went dead. It had an error when people, when no one was up there, and the whole satellite just went, the whole space station went dead. So what the Russians had to do was the bravest service call in history. Two repair guys, yeah. one pilot, one engineer, had to go up there, dock with an unassisted object. This thing is just floating out there, not able to help them with the docking process at all, and bring this dead system, the dead systems back to life on this space station. They had to bring it back to life, and it was dark, freezing. Everything was against them, but it's an amazing story that we're not really familiar with in America because we couldn't promote Russian space progress. This happened in 85. Yeah, well, you know, and um, uh, it it was the height of the Cold War. Right. And and so, you know... um, I had not ever heard of this until you mentioned it. And then I get to looking at it and I'm like, oh, this is a movie produced, a Russian movie. That they it actually, is a Russian movie you know. and it's subtitled. Yeah. 
And so I, I have, unfortunately, I've not got to see all of it. I know that you saw some of it. You saw it originally last year, right? Yeah, I saw it at Fantastic Fest. It was put together as a single movie. Um, here on Amazon Prime, for some reason, it's broken into two one-hour episodes, but it works. They have a good cliffhanger. And if you watch the first half, I guarantee you're going to watch the second half. Well, I can tell you that the production quality, I've seen about the first 40 minutes or so of episode one, and the production quality is remarkable. It's very high quality. Yeah, I, I think this puts some of the American productions the same. This may look even better than Gravity for some of the outside the, the sequences out in space. The docking scene is just so well shot with these two objects flying around the earth so fast, but moving together so slow. I mean, they're moving at thousands of miles an hour, but moving towards each other at centimeters, you know, a minute to <laughs> yeah. dock. And it's yes. tense because if they miss, they could damage their ship. They could damage oh, yeah. the station. And the production quality and the CG and everything is just top notch. And it's cool to see the older technology. You know, this was 80s spaceships. And the Russians, they're, they do things a little differently than us. Yeah, a- absolutely. And uh, it's based on, like you said, based on a true story. Uh, and, you know, they always, they're going to glamorize it a little bit. They're going to Hollywoodize it or, I don't know, Moscowize it. <laughs> I don't know how, what you'd say for a Russian film. But uh, um, I-, I think this is, I'm looking forward to finishing it. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, so what you should know, it, true story, the, the space station was dead. These guys went up there to fix it. They had to dock with it unassisted. But where the movie embellishes is they create a few more disasters for these guys once they're up there. None of that happened. These guys in real life were able to fix it, stay up there for a while, get every system back online, and keep it from crashing. That was the big concern is that once it went dead, it was going to be 20 tons coming down somewhere in the world. Yeah, that would Who not knew be, where? That it could be a major city. It could have been a farm field. Yep. So their mission was to either bring it back to life or dump it in the ocean. So, like I said, they add some elements to it that didn't happen, so it's kind of a fiction. But it's thrilling, and like I said, you'll be surprised at the special effects and how good they look in this movie. Well, it's getting good reviews on Amazon, and so I think that's a, uh, if you're a Prime member, it's free. I don't know what it would cost if you're not. I'm sure you could rent it or something it would be, you know, $3.99, $4.99 for a rental. So, yes, yeah. so I highly recommend it. It's called Salyut 7. It's a space disaster that you never heard about, or at least I hadn't. Well, and that gets me to thinking about space disasters. Why don't we do one more segment here in the podcast, and let's talk about, oh, let's talk about a handful of space disaster movies that we've seen over the years that we've liked and uh, that might compare to Cloverfield Paradox or Salyut 7. How's that sound, Adam? It sounds good. All right. Well, you're listening to The Film Coterie. We'll be right back after the music. Okay, and we're back, and we thought we'd do our last segment and talk about some films, Adam, that use space disasters, and you know, kind of that—that's kind of the theme or a realistic, space a realist, yeah. disaster. We don't want to get into alien or right or things like that where there's a creature aboard or life. Exactly, and so you know, when you and I were bantering this back and forth, probably one of the most popular and the mo- and one of the 
not the first maybe, but one of the more popular ones from the 80s would be Apollo 13, right? That's the Ron Howard film? That's the 90s. I mean, the 90s, yes. Yeah, the 90s. Yeah, from the 90s, I think it was 1995, was the Ron Howard film Apollo 13, which which did the Apollo space team. It was you know a movie about um, the, the Apollo 13, the 13th journey of the Apollo missions. Easy for me to say, right? Um, that the, 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 there's an electrical issue and they have to figure out how to rewire it and figure out how they're going to get home kind of a deal. And, uh, I think that's what makes space disaster movies so riveting is that there's no one coming to help. You have to get yourself out of that jam. Right. You know, in other movies, if you're a castaway on a desert Island, what's your goal? Your goal is to make the little raft and get out into the shipping lane and be found. <laughs> yes. You can't do that in space. There's no shipping lanes. You're stuck. Unless you can grab and figure a way out, you know, and get home to fix the ship, to do something. But it's all on you. There's no help. And I think and, that's what and, makes them riveting. And what I, I think for Apollo 13, what made it so compelling for me was it showed you the ingenuity. Because it's based on a real story, you know. It showed you the ingenuity of these, these NASA um, pilots, these NASA uh, astronauts. These guys are just genius. They're smart. I mean, th- this 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 spaceship was just tore up on the inside, all kinds of damage, and you're dealing with old archaic circuits and computers and stuff, and they just they just worked it out. I mean, it's it's really I know of of, of all these we're going to mention, it's one of the most compelling for me. Absolutely, yeah, it was a thrill ride too. It kept you on the edge of your seat. It was very well put together by Ron Howard. I don't know how much of it was true. I haven't looked recently. I, I haven't either. But you know. it was it was built in a very compelling way. Yeah, and you got I mean Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise. Yeah, Gary Sinise. I mean the the cast is just uh, star studded. You know. Um. So our next one uh, that came came to mind was 1998. Just a few years later was the movie Armageddon. Can you say the name of this movie without thinking of the theme song? No. <laughs> I can't either. It's tied to it. And this would be the least realistic movie maybe on our list because it's Michael Bay. It's a Michael Bay joint, you know, yeah. But, you know, it looked at how to divert a giant asteroid from hitting the Earth. Which is a real possibility. And in two years, if I'm not mistaken, we are shooting our first asteroid deterrent out, the DART system. We're going to test it on an asteroid that we know passes by with regularity. So we're going to try to see if we can knock it off course. Now it wasn't really, I mean, there are people who rip Armageddon for its inaccuracies with, with say with space and gravity and all that, you know, (laughs) it's a Michael Bay film. Yeah. But it it did feel like it, it was trying to approach a real subject matter in a Michael Bay way. Absolutely. And it, and it was an enjoyable movie. I liked the movie, you know, it's popcorn. Yeah. It's a popcorn film. So we have Armageddon. Now, as we're mentioning these, if you guys, you know, get on our Film Coterie page on Facebook, if you have one that we just completely overlooked, throw your movie in the hat as well, too. You we know? realized when looking at this list, that this is a genre that's not overdone. There really are not that many realistic space disaster movies, and they're expensive. You can't do them cheap. And did you know, a little trivia fact here, thanks to IMDb, one of the people who wrote the screenplay to this was J.J. Abrams. I did not know that. I did not either till I was just looking at it here. So pretty interesting. It's kind of got his feet wet on uh, Armageddon. 
And of course, you know, Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, Will Patton, Steve Buscemi. I mean, it's, you know, uh, great cast, you know, great, great. Michael Clark Duncan too, right? Oh, yes. How could we forget him? Imagine NASA trying to put a spacesuit big enough for him. <laughs> he wouldn't even fit in the chair, probably, that they have those little astronaut chairs. But again, it, it faces a real, a real, even though it was an unrealistic look, at a, it was a look at a realistic situation. Uh, you know, hey, we're just one good asteroid away from starting over like the dinosaurs. <laughs> right, another going ice to, age. Going to mass ex- extinction again. Okay, so my next film uh, that came to mind, let's jump forward to 2013. So again, look at that distance in time, 98 to 2013. Well, it's weird because we had 95, Apollo 13, 98, Armageddon, and then our, our next two movies are 2013 and 2015. And now 2017. Oh, 18, really. Yeah. So they, they come in waves. One of the things that I thought was interesting, and I, we didn't mention this earlier with our Apollo 13, is that some of these films will employ the use of the, uh, uh, the vomit comet. You know, Apollo 13 very famously was one of the first uh, movies that used the airplane that dives, you know, to, to simulate... And that was, I, I remember at the time that was just such a huge deal. Now they have green screens and computers and they just kind of, they, I don't think it's used as much anymore. Well, it's not because like in gravity, it was a very detailed rigging arm that they could move in almost any direction to make you look weightless. Um, in Solyet 7, the movie I talked about before this segment, they filmed upside down. They built the space station upside down had the cameras coming in from the bottom and the actors were suspended from the top in a complicated rigging. So it looked like they were floating around and doing stuff. And it's very effective in Soliet 7. You'll see that. Yeah, absolutely. But our next movie is 2013's Gravity. And uh, this is the thrill ride of all thrill rides. Alfonso Cuaron, absolutely. And this one's just built like an amusement park ride. It starts, it doesn't stop until the very end. You know, two minutes before credits roll. And it's Ed Harris again, from also from Apollo 13. Uh, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. And th- this is kind of a love-hate movie for some people. Some people hated this movie. I-, I came down on the really like it. I mean, you know, I really enjoyed the film. How about you, Adam? Yeah, I liked it too. It was so good to see on a big screen. This is a big screen movie. Oh, yes. On this Absolutely. List. Well, there's, there's a scene where... Um, they get knocked when 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 the asteroid comes through and hits the hits the station there, and they get thrown, and you almost start to get motion sick watching it because it's spinning so rapidly, and you see the Earth going by and the Sun, the Earth and the Sun and the Earth and the Sun, and it's a dizzying effect. You wonder how they ever going to right themselves, you know. And this movie famously gave some people anxiety because there's scenes where they get knocked off and they're not clipped in and they're very close to floating off into the void forever. If that's not a bad way to go. Oh man. You know, would, knowing you got however much time's in that <laughs> oxygen tank and then you're done. And just floating off and you know into the space. So uh, it's a it's a ride. Yep. So so uh Gravity is is another one of those space disaster films. And then we have a recent one, uh, which I loved the, the book and the movie I thought was pretty good too. And that's 2015's The Martian. Yeah. And this one, he has feet firmly on the ground. He's not floating in space. He's just on Mars. He's lost on Mars though, you know, and it's the, and it's the fictional story of a, a manned mission to Mars where a dude gets left behind and has to exist. He has to survive. 
has to figure out a way to live for like 400 and some days until they would come back around. And get himself in orbit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this is a hard science fiction. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing mythical in this. They they look at just growing potatoes and right. physics. And, and even though, it, you know, Ridley Scott directed it, but Andy Weir, who wrote this, um, he really tried to follow a real as realistic as possible. I think he said, I heard him in an interview say that he had to fudge the suit a little bit. They didn't have technology good enough for the suits that he de- he depicted. But everything else in that movie he is a kind of a hard science explanation of how we could actually go to Mars, you know. And a very good line when he realizes he's going to have to science the shit out of this situation. <laughs> I know. That's a great, that's a great line. Absolutely. Which also yields the fertilizer that he needs for his potatoes. <laughs> yes, it does. So, so that's a few, that's a handful of other, other disaster space kind of films. Um, what else, Adam? What else kind of, you know, it's a genre, you know, looking back over all these films, I like this genre and it's not overplayed. So it's nice. And we got two more. I mean, Cloverfield Paradox and Sully at Seven we talked about tonight. So, so that's, that's a half a dozen. If you're into the, the space disaster films. We've had our recent glut of them, so we may go another 10 years before they make another one. But, you know, they will. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for our podcast. How can folks get a hold of us, Adam? The best way is on Facebook. We're on facebook.com backslash filmcoterie. We're also on Twitter with the handle at Film Coterie, and that same handle also works on Instagram. We are at Film Coterie on Instagram. So we're everywhere. Awesome. All right. Well, that's this week's episode of the Film Coterie podcast. Uh, We'll see you next time. See you at the movies.